John chapter 6. If we could open our Bibles there. Good. John chapter 6, verse 24 says, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats to seek and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found them on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you, how did you come here? When did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me because you, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do? that we may work the works of God. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna, in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And that the Father gives, and all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me will, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me that all he has given me, I should lose none, but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God, Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that every, anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh, or the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my body is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is hard saying. Who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, This this offend you. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some among you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who it was that would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who will betray him, being one of the twelve. Father, I pray that you would take this time that you, we spend with you, we spend in your word, we spend together, and that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Help us to understand your word. Help us to um, um, see you more clearly and to um, learn how to walk you, learn how to walk with you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1859, a man called Charles Blondin, uh, a French man who was a tightrope walker, uh, went to the Niagara Falls and he put a, they put a rope that went from the States to Canada across the Niagara Falls, and he literally walked across the Niagara Falls 335 meters long and 49 meters high. He did it once, he did it twice, he did it three times, and then he even took a wheelbarrow 
and took a sack of potatoes and walked across the Niagara Falls with this sack of potatoes. And then the crowd, he asked the crowd, do you believe that I could take a man on this wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls? And everybody said, yes, we believe it. And then he said, give me one volunteer. <laughs> Not one person volunteered. <laughs> there is a big difference between believing and personally believing. And here, Jesus is putting the pressure on. He fed the 5,000. He, uh, the, the crowds are following him. He's doing the signs. For the disciples, he calms the storm. He walks on water. But now, he is bringing it really home to the place of trust. And Jesus asks two questions, and there are two responses. And the Jews here are grumbling and complaining. They say, is this not... Uh, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, who, whose father and mother we know? And in verse 43, it says, Jesus says to them, do not murmur among yourselves. You see, these people were listening to Jesus, but they were not, or they were rather hearing Jesus, but they were not really listening to Jesus. You know, when we read the Word of God, when we listen to teachings, when we, uh, when we talk about, uh, when we are in prayer, there are different kinds of listenings that we can do. We can listen with criticism. Have you ever done that? You're listening to someone who's like, oh, I don't like the way he's saying that, and I don't like the way he moved in that moment. I can't believe he touched his nose. You can listen with criticism. You can listen with resentment. You know, you can just be upset with somebody. It's like, I can't believe what this person did to me. And then, and, and then just go on and on in your heart about, uh, about things. You can listen with superiority. That guy doesn't really know what he's talking about. If he only had the knowledge that I have, there's a story about Pastor Chuck from Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and he was on the radio um, debating uh, a liberal biblical interpreter and, um, and at one point, as they're talking about prophecy, the, the, guy said, um, the guy said, well, everybody knows that there's two Isaiahs. And Pastor Chuck said, well, you know, uh, uh, Jesus quotes from the beginning of Isaiah and from the latter part of Isaiah, and he only refers to the prophet Isaiah. He doesn't say the prophet's Isaiah. And he, said, and he says, well, Jesus didn't have the knowledge that we have. And in that moment, the line got cut off. And another pastor, Greg Laurie, called Pastor Chuck. And, and he said, hey, you got cut off. And he says, I didn't get cut off. I hung up. He says, what do you mean you hung up? And he says, how do you argue with someone who thinks they're smarter than Jesus? 
there's no there's no basis of, of debate, of argument. So you can listen with superiority. You can think you know better than the prophets, better than Jesus, or we can listen with indifference. That's good for you, but it doesn't really matter. Or we can listen with impatience. When is this going to be over? When is this done? And Jesus, knowing the human nature, knowing what the Jews were doing as he's already fed the 5,000, as, as he already healed the lame man for 38 years, and all they're complaining about, it's about the fact that he had to walk on the Sabbath. They made the Sabbath into a burden rather than a relief. And here they're murmuring among themselves. They are complaining. They are listening in a complaining manner. They're just upset with him. And no matter what he says, they will continue to be upset with him. And the reality is that if we, are not, if we do not learn to listen by faith, by trust, by personal trust, we're not going to grow very much as Christians or we would not even come to the point where we will become believers. Maybe you're a non-Christian here today. And the reality is that you trust somebody. You trust something. And we are here week in and week out telling you that the one person in the universe worth trusting is Jesus Christ. There is no value unless we mix it with faith. And we exercise faith in everything. I hate flying because I'm aware of gravity and thrust. I hate it, but you know what? I put myself in the trust of those, of the engineers, of the guys that check the plane, of, of the people that build it, and of the pilots. We all exercise trust every single day of our life. There is no value. These people, the Jews, were not able to were not able to believe in him. They were because they were not uh, uh, trusting him. Jesus says this as well. He said, "All who listen and learn to the Father comes to me." And this is really interesting to me, because. There is a real sense sometimes that, in particularly in our day and age, there's a lot of people that are spiritual. I'm spiritual. I pray. I pray to I, you know I pray to my father or I pray to the to the to the Creator, and 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 Jesus is all right. But listen to what Jesus is saying here. If the Father is dealing with your soul and he's saying if the creator of heaven and earth is dealing with your soul the fruit of it is that you're going to recognize Jesus huh? he says it all who listen and learn to the father from the father all of them will come to me you know, I've told you maybe, I, I, don't, I don't know if, if it was a long time ago or recently, but we used to do these trips to Israel. Uh, um, 
um, Werner and Lissy and, and uh, Dieter, uh, Marisol were with us and, and others have come. And, and we went to a place and there was a Jewish man, which would be just like this man, just like these people, who, said, who, who gathered all around and said, you guys are Christians, you need Jesus to go to the Father. But I'm a Jew. I don't need Jesus to, to go straight to the Father. I just go straight to the Father. It's that subtle, and everybody's thinking, oh, wow, that's just amazing. No, no, what Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is asking you to trust and to, and to register deep into your soul is that if God is, what, what, if God is dealing with our souls, the fruit will be that we would hear Jesus' word that we will rely on Jesus' person, that we will see that when Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, that there's no way on earth to know God unless it is through Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't deal with man apart from Jesus. I'm saying that God deals with man and brings them to Jesus. A good example would be um, uh, missionaries that went over to South America at one point and they, they had had uh, visions and dreams among their tribe and, and, their, and their place where somebody would come, would be a white man, and they would tell them about the God who loves. And they told them about Jesus. You know, the message, the, the, the method. And here Jesus is, all who listens and learns from the Father comes to me and has everlasting life. And then he says this, and this is uh, uh, the metaphor. I am the breath. I am the bread of life. Now, metaphors are not to be taken literally. They are a metaphor. It's a picture. He says, I am the door. He says, I am the living water. He says, I am the light. And this is the first of the, uh, of the seven I am's of Jesus. I am, and what he's saying is, I am the staple necessity of life. Just like the children of Israel were not able to survive in the wilderness without the manna that came out every morning, in the same way, in order to walk through life, in order to survive life, in order to experience eternal life, it cannot be done without him. I am the, breath of, the bread of life. Listen, number one. Everyone around us, no matter what they have, no matter whether they have a happy family, whether they have wealth, whether they, have, whether they are poor, the reality is that people all around us are starving. Them. Just like we have a spiritual, just like we have an earthly need to eat and nourish ourselves, man has a need, a spiritual need to be fed, to be nourished spiritually. We have a spiritual need that it is like a physical need and that, that we call hunger. And Jesus says, I am the breath of life. I am the bread of life. And it is, it says, he who comes to me shall not hunger. 
And then he says this, this bread is my flesh. Imagine if I said that to you today. I am the bread of life, and this bread is my flesh. And unless you eat it, you cannot take part of me. You'd be like, oh my, and you would think like they did, this guy's a cannibal. <laughs> or this guy's a weirdo. How can we eat his flesh? And they thought physically. And then he says this, this is my flesh, which I will give for the world. In verse 51, you see, this is my flesh, which I will give for the world. And then they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And what he's speaking about is assimilation of who Jesus is into our lives. In other words, when you eat, when you have a great meal, it's amazing. To me, it's amazing that God has given us taste buds. I mean, that's one of those things. I remember when I first became a Christian, Dave Shirley, the first thing he prayed with me was like, thank you, Lord, for giving us taste buds. And I thought, that is weird. <laughs> but the more, it's one of those things that you think about more and more. And you think, if you think about it, I mean, God could have just give, given us just kind of like, like, a, like a car. You put gas into it and it goes, but it doesn't taste the gas. It's just a fuel. But with us, not only has he's given us fuel to put into us, but he's given us the ability to enjoy it, to enjoy strawberries. I went to, um, I went to see Hans uh, this, this week in the morning, and, and it was sweet, but I wasn't able to eat. But he, he, he had cut up melon for me in the, you know, to, to have some melon and coffee together. And, and I love melon. It's just that I crash if I eat it in the morning. But, but the thing is that you, you, it's amazing. It like, you, you take the melon into you and, and, and you just chew it and it releases its juices and the flavor. And then not only, it's not just wonderful to eat, but it, but it actually gets assimilated into your system. It, it sends, it, the body just breaks it down and grabs the energy from it and gets rid of what it doesn't need. But it gets assimilated into us. It nourishes us. And Jesus is saying, as food and drink nourishes and sustains my physical life, so Jesus is saying that he is the nourishment for our spiritual life. That that which we are starving for in our hearts, and that we try to fill with human relationship with uh, ambition, uh, ambitious exploits, or 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 with travel, or with uh, money, or with you know, we all get our our obsessions of things that we need to have more of, and there's a restlessness in our soul. And what Jesus is saying, I am the nourishment for your soul. When you get to the end of everything you pursue you will realize that at the end of the day, the one that nourishes, feeds, and grows the soul is me. And how do we feed on Jesus? He gives us three things here. Number one, he says, come to me. And we looked at last week, that, that sense of being with him, of spending time with him. 
Number two, we nourish ourselves with him when we believe him. In other words, we're not just watching him do all the stuff on the wheelbarrow. We actually get into the wheelbarrow with him. All of a sudden, uh, as we venture out, as we become obedient to the things that he calls us to, all of a sudden we see that there's a growth, there's a nourishment that happens in our souls. And number three, we eat him. How do you eat Jesus? How do we eat Jesus? And Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And you know what? This is crazy. I mean, when I look at verses like this, I don't want to go to church today and talk about this. But what does that mean? Is this something weird? Remember, he's talking about physical food. And then he's talking about spiritual food. So the physical food is eaten a certain way, but the spiritual food is digested a different way. And the way that it is digested is as we look at Jesus. This is my body that is given for the world. As we look at the cross, as we look at the cross, as we look at how he went to it for us, the rescue plan, as we look at him making an atonement, as a matter of fact, the more we grow as Christians, the more we will realize that it is at the cross that we find our identity, that we find love, that we find acceptance, that we find forgiveness, that we find hope. It, it, everything is actually found there. And recently, I actually, you know, we have this cross, and this was a little bit of a debate because uh, we had uh, someone said, oh, we, we got to get rid of the cross because, because you know, some people, it, it, it's, just, it's just such a, such a crazy thing to have a cross there, you know? And I'm just like, now I'm not saying we have to have a cross. I, my, my problem was not that we have to have a cross there, but that we have to get rid of it. That was my issue. I've been to churches that there's no cross there. That's fine. But we have to get rid of the cross because people are going to be affected wrongly. I'm just like, what do you mean? So then I thought, okay, if some people see a cat, because it is kind of like having an electric chair there. It is. It is a form of punishment. So I thought, well, let's put you are loved and make a cross out of it. And actually, we, I don't know how we talked, but Niels ended up doing it. And I was like, oh, that's amazing because it is there, for example, just to give one example, it is there at the cross that we see his love for us. There was a, there was a woman and a, and a, and a son and the, 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 his mother had burned hands. Have you ever seen burned hands? Uh, Johnny, uh, we used to come to church here. He was in the oil rigs and he, he, uh, he was manipulating some high pressure stuff and it blew up and burned his hands. Well, this mother had hands like that. And the, that, and the brother and the son, sorry, who, I don't know if he was a teenager or was a little bit older, but everywhere he went, he said to his mother, can you please hide your hands? I'm embarrassed of them. And then, uh, I don't know, 
months, years went by, and and the and the and the son finally asked mom, "But what happened to your hands anyway?" And she's like, "When you were a baby, the house caught on fire, and in order to rescue you and open the doors and break everything apart and move everything aside, I burned my hands rescuing you." And from that moment. That boy went around saying, "Look in my mom's hands." Why? Because it represented love. It represented sacrifice. It represented victory. It represented salvation. So when Jesus is saying, "Unless you eat of my flesh and drink my blood," he's not saying that you should do that literally. He's saying that just like we get nourished with food on earth, that is the true nourishment for our souls. It is the cross. Jesus, I mean, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. He says, when I came to you, I didn't come with my own wisdom and knowledge and philosophy. I came to you with Jesus Christ and him crucified. That your faith shall not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He came with the cross because he realized that it is there that our souls truly find safety, identity, love, security, victory. And maybe a Jew would say, yeah, but we are not to have anything with blood. But you know what? Whenever we read the Bible, we need to realize that we don't just read one verse that leads us into a lopsided view. We need to read the other verses. I don't like to. I don't like Bibles that just highlight the positive. I want to highlight everything, right? And and listen to what it says in Leviticus seventeen eleven: For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And here in the Old Testament, there's a picture of what Jesus is saying: the life, the nourishment comes from the blood, the blood of Jesus. And that notice, because this is just astonishing. I love this. Uh, these verses are just. Um, and then they ask the question, "What shall we do that we may work the works of God?" So they, I actually they asked this question before, and he and he's given this answer about eating my flesh and being the bread of life. But but the question that that for that uh, provoked this answer was, "What shall we do? What shall we do?" That we shall work the works of God. So you're sitting here today, God. I want to please you. I want to do whatever you want. But I, I just, what is it that you want me to do? What do you want me to do? As a matter of fact, there was the rich young ruler who says, "What shall we do that we may work the works of God?" Or oh, actually, that's that's he. What no? What good thing must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? He said, "Sorry." It was two different. One was this pastor's, the other one was another one. What good thing must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And it's amazing because we have a certain something in us that we want to redeem ourselves. 
I was thinking this morning about, um, uh, what's his name? Naaman. Naaman got leprosy, which is a type of sin. Remember, Jesus cleansed leprosy. He never healed leprosy. He cleansed it. Just like he cleanses us from our sin. It was a type of sin. And Naaman is eaten up by it. And he hears about a prophet in Israel that could cleanse them, who pray for him and actually take that leprosy away. And then the, the, the Naaman goes over there and, and the prophet doesn't even come to greet him. He's outraged. He's outraged. How can this guy not come out to greet me? And then he sends his servant and actually says to him, just go dip in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman just goes crazy. He goes, we have better rivers in Syria. And then his servant says to him, if the prophet would have asked you to do some great thing for God, you would have done it. But because he simply asked you to go to the River Jordan and dip seven times, it's just too little a thing to, for you to do. We want to redeem ourselves. We want to be proud of this redemption. And then Jesus replies it, and he says, he says this, he says, this is the work of God. This is the work of God. What is the work of God? This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Don't try to do great exploits for him. Trust him. Believe the son he gave. Believe him. And, re and remember the French guy. Don't believe him with the multitude. Believe him personally. Get in the wheelbarrow. Get in the wheelbarrow. How do we believe? You know, I'll tell you this. How do we believe in the one he sent? We believe in the one we send by putting our lives in his hands, by believing what he did, what he said, who he is, and by yielding to that. I mean, I guess the, the one thing that I could think of was um, two things. One is Hugh. Hugh, when he was diagnosed with a, a, a lung condition, he, he grabbed the, the doctor and he said, Doctor, I need to know that you don't see me just as a number, but that you see me as a person and that you take my condition seriously. Or to listen to him as a surgeon. If someone says to you, your heart is beating all over the place and you know what? Another pill is not going to fix you. You need open heart surgery. It's a different story, isn't it? And then you say, okay. And then anesthesiologist comes and he says, okay, we're going to put you down. And you're like, Ooh. you're putting yourself in somebody else's hands. You can do nothing. It's not like you're going to go there and say, okay, opening me up here and do this. And I'm going I'm to restructure the tubes. No, no, you're putting yourself in somebody else's hands. 
And this is what Jesus is saying. This is the work of God. Not that you do great exploits, but that you trust, that you believe, that you listen, not with prejudice, not with superiority, not with criticism, that you listen with faith, with trust, with confidence in the one he sent. We're landing. Augustine, in the Confessions of St. Augustine, he said one of my favorite things I've ever heard in my life. In one of his confessions to God, he said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. God didn't make us to be successful. God didn't make us to be losers. God didn't make us to be married. God didn't make us for all these different things that we think life is about. God made us for him. And our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Isn't that amazing? And then Jesus asked them, does this offend you? You know, from that time, many of his disciples said, sorry, I just don't, I can't go on with, I, I can't believe this. And they went away. Except, Good old Peter. This is the one I love. Paul, I admire. Peter, I love. Because he spoke when he wasn't supposed to speak, or rather he spoke when he didn't know what to say. He, he made silly, silly suggestions. Should we build three tabernacles here? You know, it's just like, oh my goodness, just be quiet. And then Jesus, he says to Jesus, you, I mean, here Jesus is redeeming the world. And he says, you're not going to the cross, Jesus. I mean, I can, I can hang with that. There's hope. But then every once in a while, Peter just has these amazing things that he says. He says, Lord, because he looks at them and says, are you also going to leave me? And Jesus says this to, I mean, Peter says this, to whom shall we go for you alone? You alone, only you have the words of eternal life. What a confession, huh? I used to live, um, we moved to the United States when I was 13 years old. And when I was around 15 years old, I moved over to Norfolk, Virginia, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Norfolk. And on the East Coast in Norfolk are all the even teams of the Navy SEALs. On the West Coast in San Diego are all the odd teams. So number one, three, five are in California. Number two, four, and six are in Norfolk. These guys are the elite. There's no one. And they are trained to, uh, to, to fight and, and to go through air, through sea, 
through land. I mean, these guys can do it all. They were the ones that went into two helicopters and took out bin Laden in the middle of Pakistan. They are just unbelievable. And we, because we lived in, my, my dad was in the Navy and, and uh, we lived in, in a place where there was a lot of those SEALs, we came into contact with some of them and there was one that we became friends with and, um, and we asked them, so what's the key? Because of course we all, in our youth, we all wanted to be Navy SEALs, you know, it's like, yeah, we're going to conquer the world, you know, it's just like, and, uh, and then he says, the reason, he was a little guy, he wasn't a big guy, he says, the reason I made it through SEAL training is because I had nowhere else to go. And I think sometimes when, when we get Jesus, when we get his greatness, and then we were praying to them and we were praying that we would see the glory of Jesus, but sometimes we use words like glory and it's like, what does that mean? It just means you see the worth of something. You know, I'm not good at secondhand shopping because I don't see the value of stuff. I, it's just other, other people might see, oh my goodness, that is incredibly valuable. That's not, and I'm afraid I'm going to spend my money on something that's not valuable, paid a lot for it, and then not get the thing that is valuable. But when you realize the value of Jesus, the nourishment of Jesus, I mean, here's the first I am of the seven I am's. And it's directly connected to what happened to Moses when God appeared to him as I am that I am. When you realize the value, he's humbly revealing himself as the good shepherd, as the, as the Psalm 23, as the calmer of the storm. You, you, you're seeing him as the, the Christ, the son of God, the son of man. When you begin to realize his worth, automatically, the, voice, the, the words that come out of our mouth is, we have nowhere else to go. We have nowhere else to go. For he alone has the words of eternal life. Now, eternal life is not just a future life we will enjoy. Eternal life is what we enjoy here and now. Knowing Jesus. And eternal life is that which gets nourished by continuing in our relationship with Jesus. So I hope we brought clarity to these verses. But I love the fact that he said, and we have come to believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we have, we have come to believe because in a sense what Peter said is I'm in the wheelbarrow. And I want to ask you, how do you listen to Jesus? Superiority, skepticism, indifference? And I want to ask you, would you get in the wheelbarrow? Because we all trust something. We all trust something. We, we trust political parties. We trust business. We, tr we trust Bitcoin. We don't trust Bitcoin. We trust whatever it is. We all trust something. The one 
thing. We trust, we trust people. The one thing that is trustworthy at the ultimate level that you can get on and you know he will carry you all the way, even through that great enemy, death, is Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful, Lord, that you've given us this amazing work to do, and it's just to trust you. And I pray, Father, that we would see you more and more and that you would work in our lives in such a way. Amen. I pray that you forgive Emmanuel, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that you would just, the complexities of our hearts, Lord, bring us into a place where we see your worth, where we see your value. And like going into surgery or going into a doctor's office where we put ourselves in your hands. Help us, Lord, to feed on you. Nourish us, Lord. It says the husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and he nourishes her. And I pray, Father, that you would feed our souls, cause Cause us to be strong spiritually. Cause us to be well-nourished, secure in our identity, secure in, in your love for us, secure in the victory, that, that, we, that we grow healthy. And Father, help us, move us from the temptation to think that is found anywhere else but in you. Help us like with Augustine, Lord, to, to bring us by your Holy Spirit to a place, Lord, where we confess. We don't just say, we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that you alone are the Christ and alone have the words of eternal life and alone can nourish our hearts. Help us not to be like the Jews, Lord, who just murmured and complained. Or like the disciples that walked away because the teaching was still hard. Help us, Lord, to be under you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.